You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. As usual, I'm joined by my dashing co-hosts, Kyle Churnside and Chris Leonard. What's going on, gentlemen? How's it going? Kyle's outside for this episode. I am. Beautiful Lake Mills, Wisconsin, on a little uh, vacay birthday family member having it up here. So the lake is actually, no, I've had too many this year. (laughs) Way over there. And if it was my birthday, I'd be at Sizzler and not here. And dinner's free at Sizzler on your birthday, just for future reference. (laughs) We don't have those around here, so that's not helpful to me, but hopefully it'll help somebody. But also, um, for the regular listeners, you may know that Kyle's outside because you may be watching us in video, which is a new thing that uh, Kyle's been pushing for us to set up, and I think we finally talked Chris into making it happen, so we're going to try it out. We had to tell him to put a shirt back on in order for us to do video, but, you know, yeah, we're here. Chris looks like a Marvel superhero with the magenta <laughs> coming out of his body. Very fancy backdrop. I'm in the guest bedroom. Uh, but on to more uh, exciting and important topics. Our guest this evening, this episode, is someone I'm very excited to talk to, Mr. Steve Edelman. He's the vice president of the Event Safety Alliance, and he's head of Edelman Law Group based in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, or as Steve says, on the hot side of the sun. Uh, yeah. Steve, thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, you're welcome. It's air conditioned, so any place is better than outside right now. Um, the reason that I reached out to you, Steve, to come and talk to us on this episode is because um, your work with the ESA, you guys have released a couple of uh, what I think are very important uh, bits of guidance for our industry uh, for what's coming for us in the coming months. Um, you had some standards on, on uh, a guide to reopening. Um, and uh, a, a recent standard on, on crowd management. And I think these are things that um, are well within our purview, things that we're going to have to be dealing with, things that we want to be aware of as we go forward and try to do these events in a way that gets everybody back to work, but obviously keeps everybody safe. And so we want to just kind of go through some of those some of those uh, guidelines with you, Steve, and, and get your thoughts on some of these topics, because like I said, they're kind of... Uh, they're things that we're going to have to be paying attention to going forward. So, so thank you in advance for your time, man. This is going to be cool. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Chris, did you have something you wanted to jump in with? I know you were digging into Steve's got some great YouTube videos. Wait, yeah, yeah. So we'll, I'll, I'll dump a bunch of links uh, in the description of the podcast. Um, it, yes, you know, Steve's got a YouTube channel with some of the stuff that he's done or other webinars that he's been a part of. Uh, I spent a good bit of the day today consuming them along with um, – uh, the Event Safety Alliance's uh, Guide to Reopen and stuff like that, which we'll have links down below for, of course. Um, so this you know, means I, we're going to get our jobs back, is what it, you're saying. Well, in order to get our jobs back, we have to do things right, right? You know, I so. wash my hands. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's such an important place to start, because I said a couple of months ago, I said, our industry is under a microscope right now, and it's going to be as we go forward, and this is not the time to cut corners and try to get our budget as small as it can be for events and do stupid genie lift roofs and stuff like that. This is just not the time. Right. Um, because we're going to, you know, if someone screws this up, um, and Steve, this is your, your area, so we're going to let you jump in on this. But uh, my feeling is that if someone screws something up now, that's going to set everybody back. And so this is just not the time to try to cut corners on anything. Well, that that's actually what we wrote in the Event Safety Alliance Reopening Guide. You know, one of our early lines, you know, on like page two or three was, you know, the smaller venues are going to get to reopen first. But every time they open, the spotlight is on them. So they have an opportunity to succeed or fail. If they succeed, we get to try again the next night. If they fail, they not only fail for themselves, but for everybody who's queued up waiting for the opportunity to try to reopen safely. And that's hard so, that it's going to be a small club situation because usually they can't even get their floors not to be sticky. <laughs> Just being truthful. You know, I, I suppose there's some truth to that. I'm not quite that cynical, but you know, it turns out that failure is pretty widespread for lots of different reasons. Um, the failure that I find really annoying is willfully ignorant failure. So before we started this recording, you know, I 
joked, you know, it's great to see you guys on a Friday evening. I'm really glad that none of you is in Sturgis tonight. (laughs) That's the kind of failure that is completely self-inflicted. There will be people who get sick in Sturgis over the course of however many days it is. And that's going to set back the opportunities that other shows might have had because somebody's going to say, oh, my God, you know, Smash Mouth performed and we've heard of them. And now, you know, there's mass contagion all around the northern Midwest because people had to go. Yeah. And one, my, my friend is the front of house engineer for that. So I've been watching his Facebook feed. So shout out to Scott for being up there, but, um, he's a, you know, he's into the masks. He's into making sure everything's safe. He was really worried about getting on the plane to even go there. I followed his timeline to it. And he did say when he got to the stage, there were things that they were definitely paying attention to. There were hand washing stations. People were wearing masks. But obviously, you dig in way further than that in your your safety guide. And I think that's where we need to go with it. We can't just take the little things because now, even in the state of Missouri, I saw a post today that they're making promoters and show responsibility on those people if someone gets sick so now there's going to be and i'm glad you smiled about that because we'll, we'll probably have to talk about that too but well, well, i can we answer will. all this because i watched all of steve's videos today <laughs> <laughs> well we, we will have to talk about it because yeah. you know that these are like planets colliding yep. you know on the one hand everybody who puts on a show is worried oh my god you know if i put on a show and a bunch of people say that they got sick at my show you know, does that mean that I'm going to lose my house, my car, my life savings? Spoiler alert, no. Um, but at the same time that there is increasing pressure on back of house people and promoters to make good choices, states are also passing laws which immunize exactly those people yep. from the legal consequences of their actions. And, you know, well-meaning people can disagree about whether these statutes, you know, state statutes are a good thing because they help to get our industry reopened or they're not such a good thing because they disincentivize people from taking health and safety as seriously as they would if they had to worry about lawsuits. Now, period, to stick a pin in that thought for a second, actually, The whole conversation is kind of silly because for reasons that I've explained in some of my YouTube videos and can explain here today, it turns out that there isn't actually a whole lot of legal exposure because of the way the system of tort law works. Um, It'll be exceptionally difficult for somebody who goes to any show to say, you know, unlike all the other places that I went to, I got sick at your event and therefore you're the one who's liable. So all these state by state legal protections and, you know, the federal cares act, you know, whatever is the correct name of Mitch McConnell's bill. These are addressing a problem, which is not actually a significant legal risk, but it's certainly one that a lot of people are frightened about because they're worried about getting sued all the time, a legitimate concern. But in this case, there are, you know, what we call countervailing forces. On the one hand, we want people to be safe by having, health and safety taken into account, you know, sort of baked into the planning of events. On the other hand, we don't want people to get, you know, sued over and over again, such that as they're trying to crawl out of this economic quicksand, that they get dragged right back in again through litigation. But it turns out that that's actually not that big a risk. It's really a very small risk. In fact, it's exceedingly unlikely that this is really a problem. So, you know, always my concern is what are we doing to keep people healthy and safe? You know, I'm vice president of the Event Safety Alliance. We take health and safety really seriously. That's the end game for us. But I'm also a lawyer. And so I can look at the risk of litigation and the likelihood of success of any lawsuit, which is to say, from our standpoint, the likelihood of losing, because we're on the industry side, And I can give a pretty clear-eyed view of what actually is the risk. And in this case, you know, talking about COVID-19, the risk of 
you know, someone who's doing audio, someone who's promoting a show, someone who's, you know, standing post working security, any of the people in an operational capacity, including the artist on stage, they're not going to lose a COVID-19 related lawsuit. They're just not. And I can explain the legal reasons for that because there actually are legal reasons. It requires me to teach you a little law, but I can do that and it won't hurt even on a Friday <laughs> night. <laughs> well, I, I think we can maybe get to some of the law. I think one of the things um, that was overarching in, in what I've heard you say is, um, you know, there's this proverbial, uh, we're all in this together, right? Um, well, if we actually mean that, then I, I think some people might go, oh, I don't need to read this um, reopening guide because I'm not a promoter. I'm not the venue. I'm not this. Right. Um, but we've touched this on actually, uh, Michael, on another uh, episode thing you did. Um, hey, you know, if, if we see a rigor doing something wrong, we're, we're responsible for actually saying something to that rigor that's unsafe. Or if I see someone do, you know, doing something like there, there's some type of responsibility. So I feel it's also necessary for if we're in this industry period, we're going to be going to any type of crowd gathering, whether you're in catering, whether you're in merch, whether you're, you know, a loader in a truck. Um, I think a lot of these things need to be thought about. And because we all have to do our part in all of this. Um, and so there's so much detail in, in that, um, in that guide that hits all these different areas. So one of the things that made me think about it, it's like, oh, loading trucks and unloading trucks right now is not going to be the same. Pinning line array right now, you know, and, and stacking PA boxes is not going to be the same because we're not going to be able to be very social distant. We have to take measures to um, to space ourselves out more. It's going to take, you know, we're going to have to have more time to load in. Those types of things need to be taken into consideration. So I, uh, a question I would have is, or a thought is, when you guys were writing this or going into, and this goes to the crowd management side too, um, I assume uh, the approach has to be safety first and then lawsuit second or, 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 or liability second, right? It can't be, oh, well, let's write all the things we'll make sure we don't want to be liable for or liable against. It's, hey, no, we are focused on safety first, right? I mean, it has to be the approach. Yes, and that actually, well, Obviously, that was the approach. It's always our approach. You know, ESA's motto is life safety first, which is a direct response to the old notion, the show must go on. Well, we want the show to go on. We work really hard to make the show go on, but not because we're willing to sacrifice safety, but rather because we take safety really seriously and we're good at our jobs and we're good at teaching other people to take it seriously also. I mean, think about it. it it's a pandemic. We're, we're all physically able, I mean, we could go up to Sturgis. We could, we could say, ah, the hell with this COVID-19. I don't believe it's a real, it's not gonna affect me. You know, the usual NIMBY stuff, not in my backyard, couldn't affect me. We could say that, and then we could do whatever damn shows we want, but it's not a good idea. And that's the distinction from which ESA was born. And, you know, that's that's kind of what we're all dealing with now. You know, people who feel like either they're willing to take safety seriously, like you guys and, and your listeners, which is fantastic, or the people who are willfully ignorant, who basically say, fuck it, don't care. Let's let's party. Yeah, I think I mean, the concept I think for me is is this concept of professional and, and social responsibility um, to me asking the question, well, am I the one that could be held responsible if this system fails and somebody hurts? That's that's an important question, but it's not the most important question. I mean, my question is, well, why do you want why do you want to be involved with a system that fails and hurts somebody? Whether or not you're the one that ends up getting the rap for it, I don't want to be involved in that. Right. I mean, just from an ethical and moral and professional standpoint, that's not something that I want to be involved in. I think I think it's too easy to gloss over that for a lot of people. As soon as they find out that you're probably personally not going to be the one whose head's going to roll over this. They're like, let's do it then. That's not how it works. You know, I don't I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, the, the way I've been spending my evenings recently when I finally stopped working is I'm rewatching the entire, you know, multiple seasons of The Good Place, which is all about moral philosophy. You know, it's what we owe to each other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's fine for one person to be able to do their job safely. That's great. You know, certainly better than not. But 
I agree. We have some moral obligation to each other, to our fellow workers, as well as to our patrons who, after all, pay the bills that allow us to do our work. We have a moral obligation to do what we're able to do to keep everybody, everybody safe. Yeah, and I think, you know, as Chris was saying, you know, on on a show site there, you know, there's a lot of really reputable, great companies out there that I work with. And if anybody sees anything that they think is safe, not unsafe, excuse me, or, you know, maybe isn't, you know, isn't could be a, a problem. They want you to speak up. It doesn't matter if Chris is in the lighting department and I'm an audio person and I see Chris's department doing something stupid. I'm going to speak up. But there are a lot of companies um, where they just don't seem to care. And it's all about how do we do this cheaper? And these are the ones that, that are not insured and are coming in and they're bidding at, you know, a, a quarter of the price of a more reputable company. And, and so I think in a way it's a little bit self-selecting where um, the reputable companies have decided that, no, it's important to us to do things the right way and to do them safely. And that's a culture that they built and they encourage. Um, and so the people who work with those companies and the artists who do shows with those companies, that, that sort of feeds itself and you end up with, with a good situation where we're all concerned about each other, uh, you know, our welfare professionally, our welfare personally. Um, and so I think that's, that's that idea from a cultural standpoint I think could be a really big force in what we're talking about in the coming months, which is we have to decide as an industry if we're going to take this seriously. And if we, if we are, you know, committed to doing this safely. Then, then you get to circle back around Michael to like, we first opened the whole show with was this is going to happen in small clubs first. And we're putting the responsibility on clubs that don't have the money or the funds or the extra time. I mean, like I said, making a joke about the sticky floors is, um, pretty much a, that's that's going to be our standard we have to get those people to you know care about that stuff too and um it, it's going to start at that level so mm-hmm. how do we become advocates to help our fellow small clubs and small venues become more safe i mean we don't want to become karens here um and another thing is we don't want shows to open and someone get accused of doing something at the venue that is going to cause this covid social media outburst about oh so and so didn't spray off the handles at the door so he's got you know there might be covid there now like that's more detrimental to that venue moving forward it's almost like two steps back it's like a a rape accusation you know oh so-and-so's got a rape accusation all of a sudden it turns into the telephone game of now they're a rapist and they haven't even went to trial or been charged yet you know um we kind of got to cut through the bs and quit living through that and learn how to help out our lower level so we can get these little venues open we can get these drive-in things happening um this this thing I've been reading all day today that you sent over is it's eloquent. It really is because I think stagehands can get it. I think promoters can get it at the end of the day. So how, how are you going to try to get this to the people that you need to? Well, as far as the reopening guide, we've gotten it into <laughs> an enormous number of hands. Uh, so we are well over a hundred thousand copies around the world. We've got it translated into like 10 foreign languages already. Wow. um, With more on the way. So the Event Safety Alliance reopening guide has had a lot of traction. Um, All of the major promoters, all the minor ones that we know of, you know, industry professionals in every aspect of back of house, lots of the the front of house operations companies as well. So knowing what to do, whether from, you know, ESA's guidance or there are other excellent organizations that have subsequently put out guidance that, you know, a lot of it looks like ours, which is very flattering. Knowing what to do at this point in August of 2020, that's not the high hurdle. That's not a problem anymore. And I think there's widespread consensus among people who take COVID-19 seriously. There's widespread consensus on what to do. It's not hard. It's only three things. You know, social distancing, six feet or two meters, if you prefer metric, 
So social distancing, face covering, hand washing. There you go. So that's it. Everything else is just commentary on those three things. Knowing what to do. Yeah, we've, we've solved that puzzle. But oh my God, look at the incidents. I mean, just follow the stinking news. Yeah. You know, did the, the company that organized the chain smokers show, you know, with, with the CEO DJ, did they really not understand that social distancing is important, especially when you don't enforce face coverings? Did they not know that? Of course they knew. Of course they knew. They're, you know, I know who the company is. They're not stupid. It's that they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared to actually enforce the rules that are so easy and simple. They weren't prepared. And preparation is key. It's key for everything that we do. You know, the whole magic of putting on shows is if we put in the work before showtime, then everything looks easy. And that's the impression that we always want to give. But we know that all the work that we do is challenging. It's complicated. And the devil really is in the details. COVID-19 is no different. So, you know, any fool at this point can stumble upon reopening guidance, whether it's ours or somebody else's. They're almost all free. They're floating around the internet and they're good. There's some pretty robust granular guidance out there, not just ours, but others too. But then you have to find people who are willing to enforce that guidance. And that, that is where we are now. And whether it's people who simply don't want to enforce the guidance or, you know, Sturgis, or they're not prepared to, chain smoker show, that's where we are. There's nothing wrong with doing drive-in events. They work. I've been to them. They work just fine. I mean, the everybody on you know listening to this probably has seen in the last 24 hours the photos of socially distanced concert goers in Newcastle, England. Fantastic. You know, raised platforms with with you know railing around them. Great. Is that materially different than the circles that have been painted on the grass in New York and San Francisco and other cities? No. Yeah, there you go. It's a beautiful image. Fantastic stuff. It's simply an application of what we have known for months. Six feet or two meters, social distancing is just, it's one of the three threshold issues. And if you're not prepared to enforce it, stay home. Stay home. Don't put on a show. Don't, you know, don't do the engineering work. Don't participate in something which is likely to get people sick with, you know, it's a pandemic. No sugarcoating this. You know, there are anti-science people who, you know, I can't even talk to because they simply are not speaking the same language as me. And I suspect as you guys and, and your listeners. So leaving aside the anti-science nutcases, you know, Darwinian selection may get them, may not, but that's not a conversation worth having. A conversation worth having is we know what to do. How do we do it in an, a way that we can enforce it so that people can be healthy and safe during a global pandemic? Sure. I, 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 th I think one of the things that's going to be as, as you were talking, you know, it's one thing to have a promoter in a venue who says, hey, we are going to enforce this. Find the people you can to educate them. I think that the other hurdle is getting people to respect the yep. enforcement of it is going to be a big deal. And like in, you know, it's funny you um, you alluded today in some of your videos. You're like, you know, uh, um, it, it, it's baffling how um, how stupid people can be or how um uh i forget exactly how you phrase it but it's like the fact that we have to tell people uh that oh you should wear a mask and stuff right um i, I like that you you use the term uh, everyone keeps saying the new norm right i like you re you repositioned that and called it this is the new abnormal right because that's what this thing is abnormal and you also talked about people you know pre 9 11 weren't used to bag checks and mag checks and all these things going to events and now you go to an event and in you're shocked if you don't see these things you're like wait that, that guy looks suspicious or why aren't we checking that uh, and that's probably going to be the 
new abnormal normal whatever you want to call it for us that you know uh we're gonna think about hygiene and health and safety a lot more and that's probably a good thing you know and there's a lot of pain to get to that point but the fact that we you know the fact that it's been had to be on the news for the last six months to tell adults to wash their hands that's a problem <laughs> you know uh so it's um you know and i i think i, I and I'll, I'll speak for myself i think in the in the past when i think like oh the safety police are here you think this you know high school guy who's wearing his vest who you know not, not even high school you know middle school whatever you know like you it, it becomes a joke right oh the safety police are here right You're like no, no no this is that we you know as a society we have to take this much more seriously um and it's um yeah so it's it, the, the work that you're doing, the work that Event Safety, uh, Event Safety Alliance is doing is, is is massive. Oh, thanks. You know, we don't think of ourselves as fun killers at all. We're the people, we, you know, you guys too, we're the people who enable other people to have fun. Right. We're the ones who do the crazy stuff and make it safe right. somehow. You know, we're not fun killers. We're the ones who make it happen, for God's sake. We <laughs> blow stuff up. We amplify the sound. We do all the nutty, insane things that get you the adrenaline rush that gets you out of your living room. That's the whole point of this, is we want to do insane stuff and then have everyone go home and say, wow, that was great. And do it again. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, it sounds like what I'm hearing from you, Steve, is like, yeah, like there is an avenue by which we can do this because the, 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 the guidance right now is not, hey, we can't have any live events. Um, although I think that's where a lot of people in our industry have like fallen into that mindset, which is like, you know, we're, we're done. Um, and that is our present reality. But I mean, it sounds like you know no there is a there's a there's a way forward here and it's going to be baby steps and it's going to take you know uh a lot of mindfulness and responsibility and professional dedication but i mean these are i mean like the reopening guy like you said these are the steps towards getting our wheels spinning again um as as an industry and so uh, to me that's you know it's a positive discussion you know like let's talk about how we can do this how we can make this work right right i mean it's all about putting on events, not canceling them. We know there's a problem, but what do you do when you have a problem? You know, when you've got an audio problem, what do you do? You work the problem because mm -hmm. right. you have to solve it. You right. have to get to a solution. Right. You know, For our industry, there is going to come a time when, when some very significant number of people economically cannot stay in the industry. You know, this this paycheck protection program round two, it's not cutting it. You know, there are people who are going to have to leave our industry and not come back. There are, are independent nightclubs that are starving from one day to the next. We're going to lose them. And, you know, not to not to overplay the importance of live events in our society. But I think one of the takeaway lessons of everybody staying at home and being absolutely out of our minds, stir crazy is it turns out that, well, entertainment really does matter. It's mm -hmm. important. What we do actually has importance. And, you know, I take some pleasure in that. God knows I don't like the way we've come to this sort of mass realization, but, you know, this is a time for us to realize that we actually have an important place in society. You know, even if we rarely put on long pants and we wear a lot of black clothing, you know, we're not goofballs. Right. We're serious people and we deal with serious risks and we handle them so that people don't get hurt. Yeah. I, I know it's what's um, one of the thought processes I've had, and this, this doesn't, the, 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 Thought, train of thought I'm going to go down doesn't say, hey, well, I need to avoid safety because of this. Um, but you you make the statement of like, well, drive-ins events work. Well, yes, they work. But the flip side coin of that is they are not financially viable. 
uh you know like they you are not making money on these drive-in shows the 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 amount of people you can get in place to do these things is no it barely if any covers the cost of doing production right now and i look at this from i've been thinking about this for for months now on the i do a lot of corporate work right so which means um you know these venues are are empty spaces right and you book a ballroom because you can fit x amount of people and it costs you x amount of dollars right you're, if you're going to have the same size event, you're going to have to have twice the amount of ballroom space, which means it's going to cost the client twice as much. You're not going to do buffets, so you're going to have to do plated food, which is going to cost you twice as much. Your meal breaks or your coffee breaks aren't 15-minute breaks anymore because you can't fit 500 people through the doorway in 15 minutes. You're now two hours on your coffee break. Um, so I don't say all these to say, hey, we shouldn't do anything. Um, but it's going to cost us a shit ton to do what we were doing and, 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 and return. I say it to more of like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a harsh reality of what it's going to, you know, how long it's going to take for us to get back to normal. Um, so all the more reason, I think when we think about these harsh realities, okay, what can we do in these small worlds? However, the same argument I just made, these clubs and like restaurants and stuff can't maintain uh, uh their staff on a half capacity club so how do we even get the small venues to open up when they can't afford to open up and i'm asking you this question these are more just all the thoughts we have rattling around in our heads and it's like it's I, we're all in the same place to be frustrated but i, I don't know where we're I'm asking going with kyle the question yeah. actually <laughs> yeah me and you dude we're just gonna bitch about it <laughs> yeah. you know i i it's i think part of this too is right so and to see if you don't know this but like you know, we have basically not talked about COVID the entire this entire time. We've basically said, "Hey, job. we're we're, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about our industry as if it's if it's if it's happening and just talk audio, right?" Um, and but so I think some of this is it. I I've been thinking all these things. I finally have a, up, to, bro. I have a chance to actually <laughs> say these things. You know, it's um, you know, because we it's. You know, we're not just doing these events to collect a paycheck. This is our this is our passion, right? This is this is what I we live for this, and so all the more reason. I, I know, literally, just coming to this interview and talking about this has given me a new perspective on what I personally need to do from a safety standpoint, um, and and what I plan on preaching moving forward. Uh, because I'm not done living my passion. I'm not done uh, letting other people mess up uh, this industry. So um, yeah. And I think, you know, as you said, Steve, like, th this is what we do. We solve these problems, right? We, this, that's what engineering is. We, we are presented with an issue and we, we try to solve, uh, create a solution. And uh, I took a class in college. It was um, taught by Livingston Taylor, who is James's brother and is a fantastic uh, musician, entertainer. Um, Livingston Taylor performed at my college when I was there many, many years ago. Yeah. There you go. So, so one of the things he said was, People don't go to concerts to listen to the music because they own the record. They own, they can stream it now. They, you know, it used to be they own the CD, but that's free. That's at your house. So if I can stay in my house and listen to that music for free, why would I go pay $100 and, and stand in a crowd? And it has nothing to do with hearing the music. It's an experience. That's why it's, it's not, you know, sufficient to go like, okay, well, no, but they, they can't do a show, but that's okay. We can just, we can play a live stream concert and people will watch that it's not the same it's never going to be the same that's better than nothing but you know we as a culture i think who we are as humans we have to get to a point where we can go out and do concerts do live events because like you said it's in the very fabric of who we are it's that important to us so yes let's you know let's do what we need to do and, and find a way to navigate this and to get back to doing what we love and so that's that's why, like Chris said, we, we uh, you know, it's just been so much speculation for this industry for so long. And so that's why we're finally braving the waters of, of COVID on this episode, um, because we have you here, Steve. And it's not, you know, uh, you're, 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 you study this stuff for a living and you're an expert in it. So it's nice to have some, some sort of concrete uh, concepts about it. So thank you again. <laughs> well, I, you know, I feel kind of bad when I talk about this stuff sometimes because, I'm definitely a glass half full guy. I, you know, I'm fundamentally, you know, an optimist and I'm optimistic about the more distant future for our industry for the reason I just said. Clearly, people want entertainment. You know, when there's a vaccine that is widely used, God willing, soon, I, you know, I'm envisioning like a scene out of Caligula where people are just like fornicating in the streets waiting to <laughs> go to shows and you know, 
you know, our our venues are full and our our calendars are just chock full and we're trying to figure out how to fit everything in. And I believe that's gonna happen. But right now we are living through the new abnormal. We are in an interim period. And you're right, the economics don't work. They suck, they're terrible. You know, when when your production costs are all roughly what they used to be, but the revenue stream is you know, 25%, maybe. We know that math doesn't work. You know, that's why there are, you know, various bills trying to work through the federal government to help fund our industry because the economics don't work. You know, Metallica, local example, Metallica is going to do a drive-in show here in Scottsdale where I am in two weeks or so. And I'm going to go. Not a huge Metallica fan, but I just want to see people. I want to <laughs> I want to have the experience. You know, do I listen to Metallica normally? Yeah, you know, once in a while. But I just want the experience of being around other people and hearing music and seeing activity. I, you know, I want the adrenaline rush mm. because I can't get that, you know, sitting in my office, you know, my office is nice. I like it here. It's air conditioned. I know, you know, it's going to be hot as hell for that show, but I'm by myself and I miss people. So, I mean, that's why we do it. Right. You know, that's, it was, I always said to people like, you know, if you're, if you're in this for the money, you're, you're, you're doing a dumb thing like this. There are, there are a <laughs> thousand better too. jobs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is not a job that people do. So, you know, it, it's, it's very, you know, I've seen so many of my friends and my colleagues get laid off, get fired, have to leave the industry completely. I mean, one of, one of my friends who's just one of the best system engineers in the field, in my opinion, is working in an Amazon distribution center now. Oh. Um, and that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are the people who do this because they love it. And these are the people who a lot of them will come back to it because they love it. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, it's like you said, it's all of the production companies who can't keep the lights on. These companies that own millions of dollars worth of gear and, you know, that that costs money to just own that stuff and to keep it in inventory. And um, I'm a freelancer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a freelancer. I own very little gear myself, but I still I mean, you know, comparatively speaking, it's nothing, but I still have a lot of money tied up in this stuff. And so that, you know, that's the concern for me is a lot of these companies just, you know, it's going to be a real challenge to get to the point where we can go back to them being able to go out and, and, and do what they do again and start turning a profit. So I'd be curious. So, you know, we said we were going to sidebar the legal side of the things, but I I think it'd be maybe good to give some, some education Ah, sidebar. Very clever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, To give some clarification. So, you know, uh, Let's let's maybe talk about why of like so some of the people who probably listen to this podcast do work in maybe one of these smaller venues and they want to know what is their you know am I gonna be responsible if I you know of this stuff right so can you maybe uh, dig into um uh you know the you're the the oh man I, I, well and let's I'm, say I mean Steve has a forty minute YouTube video where he really digs into this so maybe you can give us a, a couple of the other bullet points, Steve, and anyone that wants to to really dive into that, we definitely encourage them to to go check out what you have on YouTube and, and dig in a little deeper. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll give you the the Cliff's Notes version of here. This will be a happy story. So it's all been sort of dark and gloomy <laughs> until now. Let's tell you a good story. So settle in. This is like you know Steve's fireside <laughs> chat. The law, a happy story. <laughs> <laughs> so, here we go. Okay, this will, I'll, I'll give you the lightning round. This will be fast, but if you're the type of person inclined to take a note or two when a lawyer is telling you stuff, you know, get ready. Three, two, one, let's go. Okay. Uh, wow. Hey. Cool. Oh, Chris has your slide, man. man. All right. So if you're watching this on video, and if you're not, you can come back. But you know, hey, I have I have a slide ready for Steve. So yeah. Holy cow! This is, this is very impressive. And it even has a picture of that. Steve on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, this is excellent. You guys really are prepared, which is exactly the point. This is what we do. We are people who geek out on preparation. It's why stuff doesn't blow up all the time. Okay, anyway, so the the happy law story. Why you shouldn't worry about losing, you know, your, your house, your car, your savings account by putting on a show. 
So the reason has to do with the law of negligence. So we're talking about negligence claims right now. So let me set up a quick scenario. The scenario is somebody goes to one of your shows and, you know, then within the two week incubation period for COVID-19, they get sick. Um, let's make it a happy story for them too. They are, you know, mostly asymptomatic. They go through a little discomfort and then they're fine. So they are physically healthy. You know, that's good. You can have your children still in the room, uh, but they're upset. They suffer emotional distress and they're looking for somebody to, you know, pay them some bucks. Should you be concerned? No, no, you should not. Here's why. There are four elements to a tort. They're up on the screen for those of you who are watching this, which is very helpful. Um, there are four elements to a tort. I will tell you what they are right now. They are duty, breach, causation, and harm. Let me explain what those are in context. Everyone has a duty to behave reasonably under their own circumstances. Let's apply that. Right now we're talking about COVID-19. We're in this new abnormal, this interim period. It will end, but we're in it right now. The duty of care for anybody who's involved in event production, audio engineers, promoters, security people, you know, the venue operator, everybody in every part of our food chain has a duty to behave reasonably under the circumstances, which in this case means during a pandemic for which there's not enough testing, God knows the test results are too slow. There's no contact tracing because we're Americans and there's no vaccine, at least on the near horizon. And we don't know what's going to happen on the more distant horizon. So the duty is to behave reasonably with people's health and safety under those circumstances. That is our duty of care. So remember the first element of the four elements of a tort is duty. We just said what it is. The next element, and these are four things that a plaintiff would have to prove. So remember our person who got sick, not very sick, but they're you know upset. They would have to prove each of these four elements against you, whoever you are in the, the chain of creation of this event that we've hypothesized. So it would be the plaintiff's bur uh, burden to prove that there is a duty. Well, they would be able to, because there is one they would have to prove that there is some kind of breach of that duty. Let's come back to that in just a minute. The third element is really the happy part of the story because this fictional plaintiff would also have to prove that by a preponderance of the evidence that you, your event, was the proximate cause of them contracting COVID-19. This is a happy part of the story because by the time your event, your venue, your job is back up and running, lots of other stuff will be up and running already. We know that. We were the first industry to close down. In many respects, we're the last to reopen. So that means that, you know, your local supermarket, it's been open all along, you know, People can congregate in other public places and, you know, whether it's maximum of 50 or 25 or 10 or 100, depending on where you are, but other stuff is open, which means by the time somebody is able to go to an event that you're working, they're able to go to lots of other places and they are. And so what that means for proximate cause purposes is that victim, our fictional victim, will not be able to prove by a preponderance of the evidence, which means roughly 51%, more likely than not, they will not be able to establish by a preponderance of the evidence that unlike all the other places they went to during the two week incubation period for COVID-19, the only place where they were exposed was yours. They will not be able to prove that. Now, that I'm really confident about let me give you the counterpoint just so you understand why you should be confident in this analysis as well. So we're still on the element of proximate cause. We'll come back and reach. I'm holding that. So we, we just said that the reason that the plaintiff will not be able to establish proximate cause when they go to a show is because lots of other stuff is open and they can go to it and doubtless they are. There are three environments that I can think of where it would be very easy to prove proximate cause by preponderance of the evidence. 
They are cruise ships, nursing homes, and prisons. And what those three places all have in common, which no environment that you would work in has, is no one leaves. They are completely closed circuits. And so the first people that we experienced in the U.S. who got sick were people coming back from cruises. And the second group was the group of people in Kirkland, Washington, in that unfortunate nursing home. And then, you know, it turns out that prison populations are vastly disproportionately affected by COVID-19. For them, proving proximate cause is really easy because they're not going anywhere. No one's going anywhere. But that's completely different than your situation. So for your situation, there will not be a victim who can say, the only place that I contracted COVID-19 could have been your show, because that simply will be factually impossible. Now, you win on proximate cause. Now let's go back to breach, because you'll win there too. In order for somebody to prove, again, by a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, in order for somebody to prove that you breached your duty, they would have to say, well, what did you do and what did you do wrong? Well, turns out that COVID-19 is a really sneaky bastard and lots of people will be either completely asymptomatic carriers or the time when you're most infectious is when you are pre-symptomatic. Now, I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, but, <laughs> excuse me, I can read and you can too. And this is stuff which is on the CDC website, on the World Health Organization website. Johns Hopkins University has a really robust website about COVID-19. I highly recommend it. Um, and it turns out that it's gonna be really hard to show that any venue or anybody involved in allowing patrons or workers to come work at a venue, it's gonna be really hard to establish that any of the arrangements, the temperature checking or the, you know, answering questions on a clipboard, it's gonna be really hard to prove that any of those things was a breach of your duty of care because so many people will be completely asymptomatic which means you can do everything right and there will still be infected people in the venue. You know, look around to your left and to your right and chances are pretty good that one of those two people is gonna be currently infected and they will have not shown any symptoms at all. They will pass even the most robust ingress, safety and health measures because they won't show any symptoms. They won't know that they're sick. So the four elements of a tort, duty, breach, causation, and harm, you will definitely win on proximate cause, and almost certainly you would also win on breach. So do you have to worry about lawsuits in the context of COVID-19? No. No, you don't. And, you know, circling back to what we said before, depending on what state you're in, there are 16 or 17 states as of right now, August, whatever today is, the 14th, that have already passed state laws providing some measure of immunity for people who are working in the chain of creating live events. And so basically what those statutes do is they raise the burden of proof of our fictional victim from a preponderance of the evidence, 51%, to clear and convincing evidence which is the standard in criminal cases, and we generally assign a 99% certainty value to that. So basically, depending on what state you're in, it may be that the plaintiff has to establish these four elements that I just described, not by the usual more likely than not standard, but rather by a clear and convincing standard, which by definition is virtually impossible to prove. And that's why legislators are setting that as the new standard for COVID-19 cases. So three different ways, proximate cause, breach, or legislative immunization from liability. The law is not your problem. COVID-19 is your problem. 
Proverbial yeah, mic exactly. drop. There proverbial mic drop. Damn it. Yeah. Best <laughs> podcast ever. <laughs> we need more lawyers on the show. No. Yeah, man. You <laughs> guys are getting boring. You're cool for a Red Steve, Sox fan. I, I have a very interesting question when we're talking about Torch so and liability. I love the way you preface that. It's your question, and you're deciding it's very interesting. It's, it's interesting to me. But, okay, let me rephrase. I'm very interested in your answer to my probably very boring question. Um, there we okay. go. Because I work, a lot of my work centers around uh, sound level and, and exposure and making sure that our events are not, you know, so loud that they're damaging people's hearing. Um, and as you were going through that explanation, one of the things I was thinking about is that from a scientific perspective, we have a very good idea of what sort of sound levels will cause hearing loss and, and what won't. And so we, to the point that we can literally measure it with a dosimeter, whereas, you know, we can follow World Health Organization, NIOSH, OSHA, there's a lot of guidelines in place about what is okay and what is not okay. So, um, and, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but we're living in an age where we're not gatekeeping that information now because anybody in the venue can have an iPhone or an iWatch or, you know, that says, hey, these are dangerous sound levels. And so what happens when someone who is a concert goer goes to Live Nation or the venue management or whatever and says, hey, you're exposing me to harmful sound levels. Uh, I want to sue you. How, can you apply some of that reasoning to that situation? Yeah. So in my experience, so my law practice deals with safety and security at live events. This is all I do. So I would think that if this were a common scenario, that I would have at least heard about it, if not dealt with it myself. And I'm happy to report that I have not heard about this scenario. What I have heard is there will be shows that are so loud that somebody is uncomfortable. Generally, what they do when they're uncomfortable is they leave. They may leave and on their way out, they ask for their ticket price back. That's not an unheard of scenario. I have heard of that. And really, at that point, it's up to the promoter to engage in good guest services practices. And, you know, the most likely scenario is either they refund the ticket or, you know, they give a rain check to a future performance or, you know, give a discount at the merch stand, you know, something that makes the patron happy again. The threat of litigation, yeah, that's not very likely because of proximate cause. So imagine what would be the damage that someone would suffer from going to a show. Mm -hmm. So let's take it front of house first, and then we'll take it back of house, because I think that's a more interesting scenario. So front of house, patron just leaves. And, you know, it's one show, maybe they suffer some tiny percentage of hearing loss. They're not going to know about that. They're certainly not going to bother to quantify it there's not going to be a lawsuit in that scenario. They're just going to be upset. And hopefully whoever is the promoter will make it right by them one way or another with either tickets or merch. For workers, that's a much more serious risk because you're not able to just leave. um, And hopefully you're wearing hearing protection, but that's not perfect. And there are times when you can't wear hearing protection and you've got to do your job. So that is a more serious risk because it's just built into your profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also exposed. I mean, there's a big difference between, you know, from the data, we know that there's a big difference between being exposed four times a year and being exposed five nights a week. So so the engineers and the venue staff are the ones that are going to have this problem first, for sure. Well, that, that's right. The venue, the engineers, the venue staff and the artists, you know. Mm-hmm. Pete Townsend probably would love to hear the who now, but <laughs> ouch, good one. So th- that's really the greater risk. Mm-hmm. And in that scenario, there is a fairly traditional remedy, which is speak up. Say something. You got to speak up. You know, th- there isn't a more complicated solution than that. Um, you know, the local ordinances in whatever community you're putting on a show will have some maximum number of decibels that are appropriate both during sound check and during the performance. But, you know, 
that that's not going to help you if you're exposed to the upper limits night after night after night for your entire professional career. You know, you won't be able to hear anything either. So, yeah, and I think I think some of this goes back to you know we talked about like the whole the whole point of us even caring about um, you know this reopening policy and all this is that we have a moral obligation as we've called it to care for one another and actually first ourselves if you can't you know what the airplane thing right if you don't put on your mask first you can't help someone else right so if you're not protecting Secure yourself, your own mask before yeah. Helping those, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah if, if you're not if you're not if we're not protecting us as engineers first well, then you're definitely not protecting you know the security bouncer who has to sit down in front of that stage and get demolished all night long in front of those front fields and subs so you know it goes back to the root of us caring about the levels that we're doing at these shows has to be because we care you know a first about ourselves and about the other people and and then secondly you know yes could there be litigation lawsuits whatever down the road sure but i think it goes back to the safety thing that you have to be the care for um you know the human body before you care about the, yeah. the dollars. Well, it's professional responsibility. You know, I mean, I, I'm at, if I'm mixing, I'm in charge of a system that is powerful enough to hurt people, and we know that. And there's re- not, there's not really any debating that anymore. That you know that as Austin Powers would say, that train has sailed, right? So, um, so you know, I, I think it literally comes back to well, I have a professional obligation to not not hurt these people. That's part of my job is to do this responsibly. So. Um, thank. I know that's not that's not a uh, something that you've been focusing on, Steve. But thank you for uh, for indulging me because that's something that i've been spending a lot of my time on so it's really he interesting loved his question he loved his question a lot <laughs> I, I did my was, question was so interesting so <laughs> Brilliant question. i mean let, let's let's tie a bow around this because we've sort of circled around the same thing now several times and i think it's really important you know as a lawyer i it amuses me to see how much non-lawyers are frightened about the legal consequences of their actions because many actions don't have a lot of legal consequences. You know, your sound level question doesn't have a lot of legal consequences. But I think the more important issue is what we owe to each other. You know, what our role is in society. At the risk of taking this, you know, interesting discussion into, you know, philosophical realms that none of us are really qualified to address, But that actually is the issue, isn't it? That, you know, we not only owe ourselves and our loved ones a duty to work safely, but we're members of an industry that, you know, our industry exists because we gather people together. I mean, we were going to talk about this crowd management ANSI standard. We don't really have time, I guess. But (laughs) the point of even mentioning that is our work is based on mass gatherings of people. We don't work solo. Our whole existence is predicated on large numbers of people being influenced by our decisions, our work, our practices. So yeah, it's good to know the legal consequences of your actions, at least a little bit. But really the more important thing I would argue is you know, it's a weird thing for a lawyer to say, it's more important for you to know how to do your job safely so that there aren't legal consequences. So you don't have to worry about it. You know, really doing the right thing is the right thing. Then you don't have to worry about what Steve Edelman would say. Spike Lee had it correct. Spike (laughs) Lee nailed it. Do the right thing. Yeah. Do the right thing. Great. That's awesome. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your time and for your knowledge on this episode. It's been a real treat for us. I am certain the listeners will will enjoy it and benefit yes. from your knowledge. Um, and I know oh, that I, I'm I'm proud to say that Proson Web we have done our little part in trying to spread the word about uh, the ASA guidance, and we do have some information posted on Proson Web about crowd management and about um, the reopening guide. I know we did uh, include that in our in our daily newsletter and stuff, but obviously folks can go where the ESA website, right? And check out all this information. It's the best place to get all this stuff. Yep. EventSafetyAlliance.org. There you go. Yeah. Um, and, and check out Steve's YouTube, man. So this, he's this, got this, the first time, this is the first time we're giving y'all homework. You, you, <laughs> you need to go download this PDF, this PDFs right now. Do your homework. And they're not they're not long and they're not yeah. hard to read. Steve, as a technical writer, I can tell you, man, they're very, very well written documents. So you guys have done a fantastic job with that. Oh, th- thanks. You know, yep. we are Thank you, so much. you guys. You know, we're 
we're back of house because that's what we do. So, you know, we knew who our audience was. We don't want to read anything complicated or long or hard. So we didn't want to write it that way. That's great. That's great. So we, as Chris said, uh, you, we encourage everybody to go check out check out those. Uh, and we can actually put links to those documents yeah. in the description of this podcast for people to check out. And we'll do a link to Steve's YouTube channel as well. Steve, thanks so much for being with us, man. Oh, you're Thank very you. welcome. Thanks you for the opportunity. Cool.